0: Welcome to the European Respiratory Journal podcast. My name is James Chalmers. I'm the deputy chief editor of the journal, and we have a podcast this month on the very interesting topic of non-tuberculous mycobacterial lung diseases. In the journal this month, we have seven articles spread between editorials, original research, reviews, and research letters on the topic of this uh, emerging infectious problem. I'm joined by two experts in NTM lung disease clinical care and research. So thank you for joining us, gentlemen, if you quickly introduce yourself.
1: Sure, I'm Michael Loebinger, I'm um, a respiratory clinician and work at the Volbonton Hospital in the UK.
2: And I'm uh, Jacob van Ingen. I'm a consultant clinical microbiologist working out of the uh, Radboud University Medical Center in Nijmegen in the Netherlands.
0: So great that you could join us this month. We're going to get right into discussing some of the content in this month's journal. Uh, Michael, you've published a, an authoritative review article this month on the the topic of NTM. We're seeing an increase in NTM research. And so linked to that and, and your review, why do you think an NTM state-of-the-art review is timely at the moment?
1: So thanks, James. I mean, there certainly is increased interest in this topic over the last few years. I think some of this has been stimulated by... Um, the appreciation that there's an increased incidence and prevalence of NTM cultures, and so clinicians and scientists are seeing a lot more of it. And and this has been reflected in publications from throughout the world, and they've demonstrated increases of uh, incidence between 3% 3 and 8% per year and, and period prevalences in certain groups of patients that have been put a lot higher and almost at 100 uh, per 100,000. And we've seen that here as well in our centre and, and, and as I say in many centres around the world. So, so firstly, there's a lot more appreciation um, of the issues and this has been reflected in the development of guidelines which have also highlighted uh, the evidence and the gaps. And despite the fact that the clinical issue is still growing, there's still really significant unanswered questions. Why people get NTM, why people progress while others remain stable, when to treat, what to treat with, how long to treat for, and there's a significant unmet need in the condition. So it really is an area of increasing importance with relatively poor evidence base, meaning it's quite ripe for research. In answer to your question about the review, so this state-of-the-art review is timely because work is starting to be done in some of these areas. The first multinational randomised controlled trial of treatment for NTM has led to the first licensed product in the condition. There's also been some new work on methods of the spread of NTM, a few papers looking for host factors leading to NTM susceptibility, new TM guidelines. And the -the state-of-the-art review in this journal issue discusses all of these areas, but really highlights some of the work still to be done.
0: And Jaco, this this condition is often top of the list when we ask clinicians what are the the problems they find most difficult in clinical practice. So maybe you want to comment a bit on, on the clinical challenge.
2: Sure, thank you. Well, first of all, a lot of these infections are still You know, there's a multitude of NTM species that cause these infections and finding the right information to treat patients you know, in your local setting is a challenge in itself. And that's also one of the reasons why I think this review article is indeed really, really timely. But the challenges are many in terms of which species you're looking at, which drugs you can use for treatment, which problems associated with those drugs you can expect and how you're going to manage those. So, there's a, a lot of issues, and some of them have been discussed in the literature, but the literature itself is really uh, fragmented, and that's another reason why it is sometimes very complicated to, to find the information that you need to treat your patients in the best possible way.
0: So, Jacko, continuing uh, on on this theme of the clinical problems, you report this month in the journal about the failure of bedaquiline treatment in patients with NTM. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the results of your study?
2: Sure, thank you. Well, bedaquilin, because of its success in multidrug-resistant TB treatment, was expected to maybe also uh, play an important role in, in treatment of NTM lung disease, and particularly uh, lung disease caused by slow-growing NTM, like the Mycobacterium avium complex. Yet, what we have seen and what some others uh, have recorded uh, before uh, our single case report Is that treatment with bedaquilin does not have very good outcomes yet I think the main issues that we're facing is that bedaquilin is typically uh, used in patients who have already been treated some of them have been treated uh, for many years with uh, what we would call first-line regimens so maybe the drug could work but it should be used as a first line agent rather than in in patients who have already been treated for months to years uh, without any success. The other thing is that I'm still not sure whether the dose that we use in MDR-TB treatment is actually also the right dose to use in treatment of disease caused by NTM because the NTM in general are less susceptible to this agent than TB. The problem is higher doses um, might be more efficacious, yet their safety has never been established.
0: Yeah, there's, a, there's clearly an unmet need to identify drugs we can use in refractory NTM. A question for Michael, I mean, what do you think of Jaco's point that the outcomes in refractory patients are so poor it's quite difficult to to demonstrate the benefit of a drug?
1: I think—I mean—I think it's disappointing um, uh, this sort of uh, the initial work on bedaquiline, but I, I think it's really difficult. I think it's not just refractory disease that's difficult, but I think there's a, a large unmet need. Uh, for the condition altogether, I mean, even starting out from scratch um, in mac, which is one of the slightly easier ones to treat, uh, a meta-analysis has shown that sustained culture conversion is is only achieved in about 60% of patients. So, I think I would agree with Jacko that um, yes, refractory patients are extremely difficult to treat, but there is significant scope to actually try and improve the first line treatment to try and get um, sustained culture conversion much better than the 60% and that may include drugs such as 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 uh, Jaco has just articulated, and it may include some of the other drugs that we've started to use or that have been tested on refractory patients, such as uh, liposomal amikacin nebulizers as well. But I, I do think there's significant scope to improve the paradigm of treatment that we're, that we're using at the moment.
0: Thanks to both of you. There's another editorial in this month's ERJ, this time discussing the potential of renaming of NTM species. Now, this has always been a bit of a challenge for non-experts that Mycobacterium avium is sometimes called MAC, is sometimes called intracellularis, sometimes called all sorts of different names. Um, and now there's a new proposal to rename NTM species again. Jaco, do you want to, as you're a co-author, and both of you, I think, are co-authors on this editorial, uh, outline the problem and, and what the message is from the editorial?
2: Thank you. The problem is that um, investigators have been looking at the genetics of mycobacteria uh, and what they found uh, is something that is not that shocking. But actually, even within the different NTM species, there are quite big genetic differences. And if you then look at that, you find that they are really they form four separate uh, groupings within this family of bacteria that we call mycobacteria. So the proposal by the Canadian group that found this is to give those four large groups all um, distinct names. So what we now label mycobacteria would then be be called mycobacteria or mycolicie bacteria or mycoli bacteria. So species, I mean, it's already complicated. We have you know, over 170 recognized species. So that's complicated to grasp. And then some of them would get a different family name. So they would no longer be mycobacteria, but for example, be labeled bacterium abscesses. So that is very confusing for clinicians because on your lab reports, you might suddenly see these completely different names. You might not even recognize that they are what you would formally call NTM or Mac. The other thing is, it's also very confusing for people like me, who are more uh, based in the laboratory, who are now faced, if we find a gene sequence of a mycobacterium, we compare it to databases to give the best possible identification, and then the database tells us it's a mycolicibacter. And and not even my colleagues are very well aware of this proposed uh, change. So for many people involved in the care for these patients, it's very complicated. But what we found out, and that's the good news, and that's what we uh, we hope to convey with this editorial, is we don't have to worry about this. We don't have to use these newly proposed names. So we can still be calling mycobacteria, mycobacteria. We can still call NTM, NTM. We can call MAC, MAC, and mycobacterium avium, mycobacterium avium. So that is, I think, the message of the editorial yes there are new names and no you shouldn't worry about them and you don't have to see them on your lab reports
1: and and i think james the the kind of purpose behind your first question um and and my answer is that the whole field's gaining a bit of traction with lots of people people are starting to test for this people are starting to understand the importance and how to use it and i think i think what what jacko tries to get across in the article is some of that traction may be lost if everything starts getting split again into into different subsections.
0: Yeah, so clinicians who are just getting to grips with this, we don't want to make it uh, more and more complicated so that it doesn't become accessible as a specialty. Yeah, so keep it simple and and do the simple things well. Um, so thank you both for joining us. Uh, thank you for your, your great contribution to this month's ERJ. We hope that the listeners have found this interesting and we hope you enjoy the articles that are focusing on NTM in the journal this month. We'll be back again next month with a different topic for the ERJ podcast uh, with huge thanks to Jacko and Michael. We look forward to your feedback on this month's ERJ.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you very
0: much.